Hello and welcome to Zero Out Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do that. Primary way is follow us on our social media. Go to the Zero Out Network on Facebook, like that page, listen to archive shows, be able to Leave comments on those shows that you listen to. Also, follow us on Twitter at Zira Radio on Twitter and my personal handle at Lorenzo T. Neal. And, and catch us on any platform that you can hear podcasts. It includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere else. iHeartRadio Podcasts. We are available there. So make sure that you follow us on all of that. And if you have not done so, I want to personally invite you to become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Dr. Lorenzo T. Neal and join uh, support us for as little as a dollar a month. And you help this show keep going. It's our 10th year that we've been doing this and we don't plan to end up any time soon. <laughs> so thank you guys so very much. We're several days away from the national election. And there's a whole lot more stuff going on in addition to that. We're going to talk about that in a few. But I do want to let you know that I have a very special guest that's joining me. Uh, will be joining me later on in the podcast. And that is the person of Reverend Dean Nelson, chairman of the Douglas Leadership Institute and the Frederick Douglass Foundation. He's going to be joining us. And we're going to be talking about some of the key issues regarding uh, black Americans in this political season. And... Um, uh, whatever else we we get into, we're going to talk about that. So uh, look out for that uh, shortly after in the next segment coming up. Uh, but as we go into the news today, I, my soul is tired. My soul is, is really tired. Let me tell you why I'm really tired. I'm really tired because uh, there's been another police-involved shooting in Philadelphia. And, of course, as choreographed, <laughs> rioting has erupted. Now, mind you, all footage of this video, uh, all the video footage of this incident shows, well, I don't know what it shows. I'm not even going to talk about that. But here's the thing I want to say. First of all, and I've said this before, never go with the first narrative presented in media. doesn't matter. The first narrative is usually uh, incorrect, inaccurate, and misleading. And um, no matter how how much we have seen this recur over several incidents, it has never stopped to amaze me uh, that we are so gullible to fall for the the first narrative, which leads to the things that we're seeing now happening. And um, it, it grieves me because by all accounts, Um, by all accounts, anytime there is a police-involved shooting that we have been, specifically this year, 2020, we've been preconditioned to react and react negatively. I don't know, and I'm speaking we generally, but the community, the black community in, in particular has been preconditioned that you need to react and you need to re react now because if you don't react now, nothing will happen. And that's not true. 
whether we react or not. Something will happen. It may not be to our liking, but something will happen. The other thing that really grieves me is the fact that we are rioting. And again, I'm speaking in generality. We are rioting because of a police-involved shooting of a white person that happens to be uh, the officer and a black male that happens to be the victim. But we are still not rioting, protesting, or doing anything when it comes to violence against our own. And and that's the narrative. You know, I, I, I hate to sound like a broken record on this. You know, we, we, we want to address this uh, injustice that seems to be happening when it comes to law enforcement and unarmed black men or even armed black men now. It doesn't matter whether they're armed or unarmed. As long as it's a police-involved shooting and the police officer is white, the narrative is this is systemic racism in action and they're trying to kill us and black men, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. You don't have to agree with that. But that's just how it comes across to myself and, and others like me. And when it comes to self-inflicted homicide, and then by self-inflicted, I'm talking about black-on-black -black crime, we are very silent on that. I've been to three rallies just within the last several months. And one in particular, I stood holding the sign, a sign of the names of the number of uh, homicides that had happened at the time in Jackson, Mississippi, we're now over 100, which is the highest on record uh, in many, many, many years, decades, actually. And I stood holding the sign of the names of those persons, mostly young black men killed at the hands of mostly other young black men. And people were just passing by, you know, this, there was no stopping. There was no one really joining, joining us. And mind you, this is black people putting on uh, a rally to help bring awareness to deaths of black people. And we didn't get uh, notification. Uh, we did not notification. We didn't get the notoriety of that. And conservative pundits will bring this up all the time. We're, we're rioting and tearing down communities that are largely minority-owned. Or, or at least minority populated, uh, small businesses, not major. And these communities then in turn, these businesses then in turn have to rebuild, which likelihood they don't have the the means to do so. The, uh, the trust within the community is severed as, as far as regarding uh, law enforcement and uh, the trust within the community is severed, creating a greater uh, dissonance between the people that's supposed to be helping us and the people who need to help. Because now, and, and that this is one argument that a lot of people have, uh, scholars have, regarding why there's, when it comes to self-inflicted homicide and uh, other inflicted homicide. There's this sense of distrust. We can't trust the police. We can't trust lawyers. We can't trust the justice system, and there because the justice system is unjust towards blacks and colors, people of color, and so why should we trust them? And unfortunately, that narrative plays into, or that that sense plays into the reaction that is that we're seeing after all these police-involved shootings. 
it, it grieves me because we, we, we got to do better. It's not that we can't. We're just being, we're being conditioned, literally. We are being conditioned to react instead of being conditioned to uh, be empirical about this, to think about this, to reason, to be rational about it. How should we approach this? And it is what it is. And I pray for the families of all involved, the officer and especially the victim and the community that is impacted. And I watched the victim's family speak, his father and this lawyer and all of this. But the reality is it happened in Philadelphia. It happened in it happened in um uh Wales. It in uh Wisconsin. It happened it, it it's happening all across this country. And because now it seems like it's consistent, you know, it, that adds to the to this this choreographed scheme to riot. And yes, I do mean choreographed. That this is conditioning. And we've got to do better. We've got to do better. Uh, we will do better. I believe it. And um, I know we can. I know we will. But uh, moving on. There's a lot of other stuff that I want to address um, in today's podcast broadcast but I I do hope that we can get it together and make things right uh, what else before I take a break and we I bring out bring on Reverend uh, Dean Nelson oh okay What else? All right, that, that, I'm running out of stuff. I was trying to find a lot of stuff and just can't, just can't find it. But I'm gonna go ahead and take this break, and when we come back to the break, I'll be joined by the Reverend Dean Nelson, and um, I'm looking forward to that, and I hope that you enjoy that uh, interview we have with him. Be right back. to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, 
but with their ID shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you, I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look into the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging liberating and transforming contact me at pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me i'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will blessings hello everybody uh this is dr lorenzo neal and i welcome you again to zero today with dr lorenzo neal um i am very honored to have uh, distinguished gentleman uh, with me today and the person of the Reverend Dean Nelson. And if you haven't heard that name, you're going to hear a whole lot more of that name coming up uh, in the nearby future. I prophesy it. <laughs> uh, um, Dean, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and, well, what you represent, what the organizations you represent and the work that you do. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Neil. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be with you. Um, but yes, uh, I serve in a few capacities, but one is uh, with the Douglas Leadership Institute, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that uh, focuses on engaging with the uh, faith community, the African-American faith community, where we uh, emphasize uh, four areas, uh, strengthening the black family, criminal justice reform, uh, economic opportunity, and educational opportunity. Additionally, I serve as the president of the uh, Frederick Douglass Foundation, for which you are a proud member and leader within that organization. Uh, always grateful to uh, be with you. But the Frederick Douglass Foundation actually is a political organization that has the same values as the other. We like to say our tagline is righteousness, justice, liberty, and virtue. Uh, the Frederick Douglass Foundation has several chapters around the country uh, with presidents in those states that emphasize those things that I mentioned to you, all kind of under the banner of the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Uh, I'm also proud to serve as the executive director for Human Coalition Action. Human Coalition Action is a nonprofit uh, entity that is a part of Human Coalition, which has become quietly one of the largest pro-life organizations in the country that provide free services for women uh, facing an unplanned pregnancy. We will serve over 100,000 women this year, particularly minority women in urban communities that uh, are having difficulty when they recognize that they're pregnant. We provide solutions and alternatives other than abortion. So we are a pro-life organization. 
Uh, but man, I'm also a, a minister of the gospel like you, and uh, I'm just grateful to be a, a part of this opportunity to share with you a little bit tonight about uh, our organization, the work that we do, and uh, anything else that we can discuss about black progress uh, in America. And for full disclosure for my audience, as uh, Reverend Nelson said, I am a part of the Frederick Douglass Foundation, particularly with Mississippi. Uh, I don't know how much I actually do, but uh, <laughs> uh, I've been a part of this organization for uh, a number of years now. Um, it's, it's been a while. And uh, I've been blessed to be a part of uh, a lot of events and that this organization has done nationally. Um, and I really appreciate the heart that you have for the black community, for the faith community, the black faith community in particular, and uh, everything else. And again, you hear my little dude in the background. Whatever he's heard, he's heard, and he's, he's all. So I want to jump right into this. Um, you serve in a number of capacities. Um, and I know we've had discussions before, and I said, 2020 has been a very interesting year. And that's the best <laughs> way I can describe it. But share some of the things that you've experienced, uh, both per personally and, um, I guess, professionally uh, in 2020. But, that you that has impacted you and probably uh, uh, impacted the way you approach the work that you do. Yeah, well, you know, again, I'm grateful to be to be on with you. 2020 has been a uh, interesting, in many ways, challenging year. Uh, we're still in the midst of a uh, of a pandemic uh, that has had. Uh, negative impact on our country uh, through a, a virus that came in, uh, and all of us are quite aware, uh, you know, of what has taken place. Uh, I'm proud uh, that many of the church colleagues that I know have uh, been working kind of on the front lines, one, to be able to encourage people, particularly within our communities, uh, when we've had churches that have been kind of forced to close, uh, they found innovative ways to engage and to encourage people. I'm proud that many of these uh, churches, as well as nonprofit organizations and small businesses that we have worked with, uh, partnering with the White House uh, in the uh, the Trump administration, uh, specifically in the area of the Small Business Administration, trying to get uh, relief and resources to uh, African American communities. Uh, we, through our organization, helped over 200 small businesses, churches, and nonprofits to secure uh, almost $4 million uh, through the uh, PPP program. So uh, it's, been a, uh, it's been difficult, but as we know uh, with God, you know, all things are possible. Uh, and we have seen uh, some extraordinary uh, people uh, come through uh, just in fantastic ways within serving their communities. And we're grateful for uh, the relationships that we have had with the Small Business Administration to help in those situations. So that's just a little bit of, uh, of what we have done over the past you know, several months, but we're all about trying to provide solutions. We uh, don't believe that government is the, uh, the sole entity. We believe that God has ordained the family, God has ordained the church, as well as God has ordained the state 
uh, to have their specific roles uh, in the uplift of communities. And so we're proud to uh, work with families, we're proud to work with churches, and we're proud to work with, uh, with the state, whether it's the state or federal government, to help um, really protect and to serve. Because we believe that at the end of the day, according to uh, the book of Romans, that's the primary role of government is to, uh, to protect those who are, who are innocent, uh, to uh, punish those who do wrong, and ultimately to affirm and to encourage uh, those that do well within our civic society. And that's a wonderful segue into my next question I want to ask you. Um, being pro-life has become uh, as divisive as other issues, particularly regarding Blacks. And... Um, those who are more progressive or liberal uh, are pushing the idea now more than ever for the need for a less family-centered dynamic within the Black community. And without outright saying it, a more, a, a greater sense of uh, dependency upon government, state, for sustenance. Um, now, how do you address that being a black leader and a minister regarding both the issue of life and uh, all that other stuff that you just said, <laughs> that you talk, mm -hmm. just talked about? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know, first I'll say that, you know, at our organization, as you well know, uh, again, with uh, the under the banner of the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass, we are committed to uh, black progress. And uh, we do that though from a faith framework. And so that means that family is extremely important. Uh, you'll remember that Frederick Douglass once said that it is easier to build strong children than to, re <clears throat> than to repair broken men. Frederick Douglass was an advocate uh, for the family because he was born into slavery and didn't know his own family. He was never certain of who his real father was, although it was suspected that it might have been his slave master. And even his mother, he didn't get to know <clears throat> because she was moved off to a plantation that was uh, at least 12 miles away from where he lived. So he was committed to family because of what he didn't have because of slavery. And so we even have great stories of, um, of Frederick Douglass talking about and his children talking about how uh, it was so important uh, for, the, uh, for Anna, Frederick Douglass's wife, to uh, have the children before they could even eat a meal in the evening that they had to quote a Bible verse. So there, there was uh, an emphasis from Frederick Douglass on how important the family unit was. <clears throat> and I believe that we have seen uh, agents that have tried to undermine the black family, whether we go back to the time period uh, of um, the quote unquote great society with Lyndon Johnson, uh, who tried to suggest it was a good idea to have the state to be more involved, but many people don't know that's well documented in uh, liberal fascism written by Jonah Goldberg, that they sent uh, over 100,000 workers, particularly into black and urban communities to convince uh, black people that they call the two crowds to get onto welfare. And uh, we have seen since that time period, welfare kind of taking the place of the black man, and it has had 
uh, horrible effects on the black family to where we have over 70% of, uh, of children that uh, uh, live with only one parent. And uh, that isn't to say that there aren't good examples, they're great examples, but when there's bad public policy that uh, kind of uh, chips away at the foundation of the family, then that's something that we should be alarmed about. Uh, you would know, and many of your uh, listeners might know, uh, that it was discovered not that long ago from Black Lives Matter as an organization that they believed in the dismantling of the nuclear family. From a biblical standpoint, we know that it takes a mother and a father to properly raise a children. It's hard enough in this culture, even with a husband and a wife, but uh, we know that that is a biblical principle and that families do well. But in cases where that's not the case, we have a responsibility of extended kin and the church to come alongside to provide that help for, uh, for black families. And so that's something that we believe in strongly. Uh, and we see, in my opinion, one of the most um, demonic attacks that have been on the black family has been the push of abortion within black communities. It's been well documented at a site that's referred to as um, protecting black life that almost 80% of Planned Parenthood's surgical abortion facilities can be found in minority neighborhoods, black and Latino. And people think about Planned Parenthood as a great organization because of their name, but in reality, it is a billion dollar nonprofit that makes most of its money uh, getting it from the federal government and providing abortions. It is the number one abortion provider in the country. They don't do much planning for parents. What they do is abortions. And their founder, Margaret Sanger, in a letter that she wrote in 1939 to Clarence Gamble stated, we don't want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. She would say further that the minister is the one who can straighten out their more rebellious members if this idea ever occurs to them. So what we have done through our work through the Frederick Douglass Foundation and the Douglass Leadership Institute is to partner with organizations like Human Coalition that provide free services to women facing unplanned pregnancies to give them help, not pushing them to try to make the decision of taking the lives of their preborn children. So that's a lot to say, but those are some thoughts that I have as to what we try to do to partner with good organizations that have good public policy that strengthen uh, our black families rather than to erode the foundation, the biblical foundation of the, of the strength of black families. Excellent, excellent. Now, one of your uh, positions and one of your policies, or I don't know if it's policies, but uh, things that you state with DLI and Frederick Douglass Foundation is about criminal justice reform. And as we know, um, both the Obama administration and Trump administration have semi-addressed it um, when it comes to, I was trying to straighten my bow tie, <laughs> when it comes to uh, criminal justice reform. And uh, President Trump more recently with the first step at uh, a very broad bipartisan uh, effort addressed the need for to to help particularly black black and latino but yeah. more specifically black men yes um because as you stated it is it, is very clear historically black men were the focus of a lot of the uh agendas to uh, 
uh, that have led to deterioration of black family, nuclear family. So in light of that and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, what can be done for, and I, I'm trying to, I, I had my notes here and I, I'm, I'm trying to go off the top of my head, for but what can really be done to address the, the, to get the inclusion of black men back engaged in uh, family, faith, and um, full functionality within the, the community? Yeah, you know, uh, there's a, uh, some basic things I think that could be done. Um, and I will borrow from uh, a phrase um, that was popularized by President Obama, um, the, uh, uh, an initiative that he had called My Brother's Keeper. Because I do believe that for things to get better, it is going to take those of us who um, are, are doing well to commit ourselves to helping other people. Um, we won't see success in the black community until we dedicate ourselves to helping ourselves. That means one, I need to be accountable to somebody else to live a life that honors God and that takes care of my family. But then I need to go one step further and find out who can I help? What brother can I come alongside to encourage and to challenge? This is one of the things that we've advocated through the Frederick Douglass Foundation and the Douglass Leadership Institute, something that we push through our network of faith-based leaders. Preachers need to do a better job of just preaching sermons on Sunday and actually disciple young men. Take them under your wing so that we can see a difference. What really makes a difference in the life, lives of other people is the influence of another person. Jesus influenced his 12 disciples by living with them, by teaching them, by encouraging them, by instructing them. We need to do that with one another. And I believe that um, <clears throat> one of the biblical principles that you can see all throughout the New Testament is how we treat those who are in prison. And I believe that President Trump has done a fantastic job. You know, if you go back, you know, four years ago, he didn't campaign on criminal justice reform. But once he heard from leaders like Jerron Smith, Christian leaders, black leaders, about how there was a disproportionate impact um, with sentencing, particularly for black men, largely done through the 1994 Crimes Bill that was initiated and pushed really by Vice President Joe Biden. So I believe that if you take a look at um, some small steps that were done with President Obama, but some real huge steps that were done, and this is why I do give credit to President Trump, because this wasn't a political campaign uh, promise that he made. It wasn't like something he was looking for, but he saw this as an opportunity to help those who have been left behind. And through the first step back, more than 3,000 Americans have been released uh, from prison, and 90% uh, of those uh, sentences have been reduced, that, where they've had those sentences reduced, were Black people. Uh, you may have heard the fantastic story of Alice Johnson, uh, who, uh, in her personal testimony, into how now historic, you know, there's a historic Super Bowl ad that was done as a result of this. But Alice Johnson was a grandmother whose mm -hmm. crime didn't fit, whose time didn't fit the crime. And she is so grateful to God. She was, uh, uh, became a minister of the gospel while she was there, a productive person within society. 
But one of the things that the First Step Act did was to shorten mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug crimes and provided judges greater liberty to go around the mandatory minimums. Uh, the law also allows for offenders uh, sentenced under uh, racially motivated mandatory minimums uh, to petition uh, their case to be reevaluated. And lastly, there was a whole uh, amount of funding, I think, um, uh, 1.6 billion dollars uh, over the over five years in uh, societal benefits. So, uh, and this is just the first step. Uh, the mm -hmm. president has promised to do even more. Uh, so, I believe that there are things that we need to address um, that the government can do, but there are things that we as individuals, uh, as churches, also need to do. And um, I'm all about challenging the church. Uh, and men to take our place, to stand up and to do better, to serve our communities and to serve one another. I, I completely agree. Uh, keeping along the lines of black men, uh, there, there's, there's headlines trending or tweets trending or whatever you want to call them, that uh, there are a significant number of black men, including black celebrities, black male celebrities, who are openly coming out in support of President Trump for whatever reason or another, for the rapper 50 Cent is strictly fiscal. He wants to save money. And for Ice Cube, it's his contract with Black America. But for the average Black male, a lot of them are beginning to express discontent with uh, the organized Democratic Party. Uh, and are shifting in support of Trump. How, address that for me. What's your perspective on that? And is it good, bad, or, or neither? Yeah, well, you know, man, I think, again, and I've had these conversations with people like Reverend Al Sharpton. I've had these conversations with uh, leaders like uh, Bob Woodson uh, from the right, as well as from the left. Um, I think that it does our community no good if we put all of our eggs in one basket. We need to have people that are uh, in both political parties that are committed to black progress. I think that most Americans don't realize that over 70% of black people say that they are either conservative or moderate, but yet many times it seems as if the only people that are speaking up for us are kind of liberal. And so I think that um, what we're seeing in our country uh, is really the result, or I should say, since the manifestation of what President Trump said, uh, you know, four years ago, he said, basically, what do you have to lose? And I think that more people are saying, hey, look, we had a black president, uh, our condition didn't really change that much. Maybe we should look a little deeper. Maybe we should look a little bit more in terms of policy that can help. And maybe if this guy who didn't promise to uh, push criminal justice reform, but did. He didn't make promises about, uh, you know, the First Step Act. He didn't make promises about, um, you know, uh, opportunity zones. He didn't make promises about urban revitalization, but those are all things that he did do. Uh, he didn't make promises early on about um, uh, historically Black colleges and universities, but when he saw some of the problems that were going on within our country, and got a little bit of an understanding about how government works at the federal level and saw that he could at least um, 
provide some solutions to these challenges, he did that. So I think that there are more black men and some women who are looking and saying, look, uh, we've heard all of the nice words, we've heard the platitudes, but maybe we should look to somebody who has not been involved in government to come in and to make a difference. If this business leader could uh, make these deals, make a whole lot of money, uh, do real estate deals and investing, maybe he can use some of those same kind of principles to be successful in government. And I think that more people are doing it, but they're doing it also because there are people like yourself that are saying, hey, we should give uh, you know, uh, both parties a chance. We should give the Republican Party a chance. Let's face it, Frederick Douglass was the one who says, I am a black dyed in the wool Republican and would never be a part of any other party but the party of liberty and progress. I think that more and more people like yourself, myself, that are ordinary people that say, these are the principles that I live by. And when I look at the Democrat party, I look at some of the principles that they have outlined. Those are things that I don't really agree with. And uh, let's not even go down the list of things as it pertains to morality or biblical values. Uh, but I think that that's one of the reasons that you're seeing uh, more black men show interest because of the track record that the president has and some of them are willing to take a risk. And I appreciate you bringing it from that perspective because that, as I talk with uh, young black men and well, more particularly young black men who are voting age, that is the perspective. They're, they're like, they're tired of uh, being promised one thing and reneged on. It's like playing a game of spades and your partner says that they have so many, you know, they got so many books and they turns out they don't really know how to play and they always renege. But I, I guess, <laughs> I hope you got that reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, st staying with this, um, Ice Cube recently oh, stated that he's, he's gone on the record for the last several months talking about what, what, what's in it for the black community. What do they have to offer? What does both parties have to offer? He developed what he called the um, contract with black America, presented it to both parties. One said, we'll get with you after the election. The other one, or both campaigns, let me be more specific. One said, we'll get with you after, but if we win, the other one says, well, whether we win or lose, we're still going to uh, try to implement this into our campaign. Now, he's been catching slack, a whole lot of slack, from black leaders because he simply said, I don't care who hears me. I just want this out there. And uh, the Trump campaign was the one that responded. Now, compare his plan with the platinum plan. I know you're familiar with Trump's platinum plan. So, how does that platinum plan really impact Black Americans? If uh, Trump is reelected, how, how will that really impact, from your perspective, Black Americans? Yeah, well, um, you know, I was uh, behind the scenes a little bit uh, with some of this. Um, I, I can tell you from, um, from what I know that uh, Ice Cube um, is, is for real. Uh, he is not making promises to any party or to any presidential candidate, but he is very serious about saying what's in it for us. He works very closely, I can tell you, in his professional capacity uh, with um, 
with conservatives, uh, with Republicans, um, and I believe that he is looking for opportunity for his people, uh, for our people. And so uh, even though when he first uh, put out his um, contract with Black America, it was, uh, wasn't, you know, wasn't a full plan, it wasn't in-depth, but he teamed up with Chris Broussard, who uh, you know as a sportscaster and has been a, a very strong supporter of the Douglas Leadership Institute. Uh, Chris is a dedicated Christian and added to that something that's called the Neo Reconstruction Plan. So it had a little more meat in it, uh, and uh, and Ice Cube adopted that and brought brought it into uh, into his plan. And they took that. The uh, Trump administration did take that, looked very closely at it, and crafted what they came up with, with which is the Platinum Plan which is primarily an economic, you know, and uh, safety plan that number one, uh, wants to give greater access to capital to black Americans. It wants to push safety and justice, despite what, you know, we hear the rhetoric from, uh, you know, liberals and from some Black Lives Matter advocates, not all, but instead of, you know, dismantling the police or defunding the police, this is about safety because most black Americans, the vast majority of black Americans feel that we need to keep our police or either increase the level of police, you know, in our communities. And so uh, I've heard people like uh, Tyler Perry and others echo that very strongly within, uh, within our community. So I think the uh, Platinum Plan has also discussed some other key aspects of funding uh, to the Black community. And we say funding, we're talking very specifically about um, providing uh, 3 million new jobs uh, in the Black community through over $500 billion of access to capital. Now, one of the things that I was proud about with that that the president also mentioned is that they wanted to have 500,000 new Black-owned businesses, and this access to capital was also going to be uh, allowable for churches and faith-based nonprofits to take advantage of. He recognizes how important the uh, African-American church is uh, to our community. In some ways, I do believe that we've lost our voice uh, in some regards because we have not, I believe, lived up to some of the moral standards. But still, the black church and the African-American pastor has a special role within our community. And President Trump did not want to leave uh, us out. And so when they talk about uh, expanding opportunity zones, and when they talk about this, uh, you know, uh, $500 billion uh, of additional capital, uh, they wanted to make sure that the church was also included in that. And that's a, uh, again, you're, 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 you're on point, because that's the next question I was going to ask when it comes to the Black faith community, Black church. Um, how do you think, uh, well, not how do you think, let me reframe this question here. How influential do you think uh, we should be as clergy, pastors, and other persons within the Black faith communities? And I'm not just talking about the church, uh, because I, I don't just work with the church. I, I work with non-believers. <laughs> I work with uh, uh, persons of Muslim faith and other faiths, but particularly Black people who are part of faith groups. Uh, how influential do you think uh, they will be regarding uh, implementing this plan if Trump is reelected or if he isn't reelected? 
what should they do to ensure that something similar to that plan uh, gets carried out? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, I do believe that the uh, African-American church has, uh, has a special place. Um, you and I, as ministers of the gospel, uh, know that the Bible even uh, challenges us that, you know, that if judgment comes, it should first fall at what, the house of God, that we are looked at as standard bearers in our community. So I do believe that we need to set the bar, not just for, uh, for the church, but even from a biblical perspective, uh, we as ministers of the gospel are supposed to have a good reputation even outside of the household of faith. And so I believe that we should be that city set on a hill. We should be an example to others. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. It does mean though that when it comes to matters of righteousness and justice, that the church has a unique place uh, uh, under God to be uh, uh, a salt and to be light. Uh, that being said, regardless of who is uh, elected president, you know, on November the 3rd or whenever we find out, uh, but <laughs> regardless of, uh, I believe that the church should uh, be at the table, uh, but we shouldn't compromise our values. This is the part that I feel like is, uh, is extremely disappointing because it almost seems like that the Democratic Party and liberals and progressives basically say, well, we know y'all are going to be with us regardless. And so they constantly push uh, initiatives that are inconsistent with biblical Christianity, whether it is pushing abortion. We're not just talking about the old days with Bill Clinton, safe, legal, and rare. They want abortion on demand all the way up until the moment that the child is born. And in even some states, even if the child is born, from a botched abortion, they believe that that child should be left to die. So I think that there are extreme positions there. Their constant push. If you look at Joe Biden's plan that he's offered, it actually gives many more pages and words dedicated to LGBTQ than yeah. it does to black people. Yes. So I think black people need to rise up and take a place. Now, don't get me wrong. We have a responsibility to demonstrate love and compassion to every group of people. But we don't have the luxury of changing biblical standards. We didn't create them. God created them. We have to come under God's authority. And I have happily worked alongside people who have expressed uh, challenges with same-sex attraction and things like that. We don't shun anybody, but we all have to come under God's uh, rulership. We all are called to be um, disciples of Jesus and to call him Lord. And part of that process is surrendering every aspect of our lives, whether it is our private lives, our sex lives, our thoughts, uh, all of that has to come under the subject of, uh, uh, and the Lordship of Jesus. So the church should be involved in these areas, providing uh, radical love, providing uh, high uh, commitment to integrity, uh, financial accountability. We need to be able to provide all of those things when we come to the table, but we do need to hold officials accountable and we hold them accountable to the biblical standards that we have. And I believe that when we do that, when the church uh, demonstrates uh, biblical morality, when the church demonstrates grace and compassion, she's at her best. And I believe that we have a lot of room to grow 
Uh, but I think that if we as ministers are willing to hold each other accountable and to go uh, to government with uh, our plan, and I would invite people to check out Chris Broussard's uh, Neo Reconstruction Plan. I don't agree with every point in it, but I do think that it is laced with compassion, uh, but it, and it also has a commitment to biblical principle to see how we can see uh, economic change within our community, how we can see educational um, opportunities for, uh, for all people, particularly the least of these, how we can address issues uh, of, uh, you know, systemic racism if those things exist. I believe in some regards that type of thing does exist. Uh, how we can overcome health disparities. I believe that we can do it, but it only will happen when the church commits itself first to the Lord and commits itself to the biblical principles of serving one another. Excellent response to that. I want to I wanna be real direct to you. Should black folk be conservative? Should, should they should they actually uh, adhere or subscribe to conservative values? Should they uh, support candidates who uh, say they're conservative? Or should they even be, uh, be so radical as to join the Republican Party? I ask that because being center right myself, uh, currently independent, <laughs> but um, I, I know that Right now, in this political climate, the black people, black community, the black voice is trying to find its place. Because we're really not, if from my perspective, we're really not fitting into uh, the Democratic uh, Party's platform or voice unless we fit the intersectionality that they're mandating now that you. <laughs> and to a degree, we also don't fit into this largely white, Christian, evangelical, um, Republican, conservative uh, perspective. So, so how, what should we do? Those who are like myself, who are center, maybe leaning to the right, but really, really just center. Mm -hmm. And we just wish that we could find a space. What is your suggestion? Well, I would say first to those of the household of faith to be reminded that our citizenship is in heaven. Um, we are just sojourners down here. Um, I believe that uh, we have a responsibility um, to be uh, advocates for righteousness and justice. And it, it may even depend on where you live. In your state, it might make more sense for you to be uh, an independent, to have a strong voice. What I learned a long time ago was all of us seem to be, 90% of us seem to be putting our eggs in one basket. That made no sense to me. And I saw when I went and I shifted, I changed my party affiliation from Democrat to Republican. And I saw, hey, I don't agree with everybody over here, but this is a place that felt fine for me. And I began to advocate for things like we believe in in the Republican Party because you know, political parties will come and go, but we need to have strong witnesses to be in both places. So I would say to most people, look, most of our eggs are in one basket, but our values, if you read the Republican Party platform, 80% of Black Americans, I would say, would agree with everything that's in that, that basic platform. Um, so I would say investigate that. And yeah, if there are people that you don't like associate with and you don't, you know, know if you, you know, feel like them, look, I, I've been to large Democrat gatherings 
I felt like a fish out of water in some of those environments. I mean, the stuff that they were talking about and the uh, environmental stuff, that it was like they were worshiping a completely different God than I was worshiping. So I would just encourage people, number one, to know what you believe. And then when you know what you believe, find groups of people to go and to advocate for those things that you believe. And I would say, again, according to biblical principle, is righteousness and justice. You can't just say that we're for justice, because if you have justice without a plumb line, yeah. you'll be advocating for justice for anything and everything. And that's not real justice. We need to have, I believe, a biblical foundation. And, and most Black folks uh, are religious people. We read our Bibles more than the average person. We go to church more than the average person. But somehow the aspect of morality within our arena is, uh, is, is, is overlooked. And I think that we need to have a commitment to that. So my strong answer is that I believe that more of us need to associate with the Republican Party. Many of us need to be independents. But all of us definitely do not need to be Democrats, particularly when they have pushed their value, uh, values that are inconsistent with ours uh, down our throats, and we act like we just take it. And, and, and they make us feel like that uh, we should be ashamed for believing what we believe. I'm not going to do that. And I would encourage all people to have that same type of mindset. You said something that just made me chuckle a moment ago because uh, recently a uh, comedian, um, Chelsea Handler, was on a late night talk show and speaking about rapper 50 Cent and stated that uh, he should not be supporting Trump because he is black. And then she offered the innuendo that I will not be <laughs> restate as an incentive to uh, help him get back in place, in his placing. And <laughs> it is rather sad that there are probably plenty of others like her who have that mindset regarding blacks that they need to stay in that place and not think for themselves. So anyway, we have run out of time. Um, so I, as I said before, I'm just honored. Uh, we've, I've been having a wonderful dialogue and interview with the Reverend Dean Nelson, uh, chairman of the Douglas Leadership Institute and chairman uh, or president, uh, whatever your title is. <laughs> whatever um, it is this week. Right? <laughs> yeah, of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Uh, for my listeners who, who have piqued their curiosity, how can they get in touch with you if they are interested in... Uh, learning more about DLI and FDF, uh, can you give them the information on how to get in, uh, get in touch with that organization? And, um, Absolutely. Yeah, if they want to visit us uh, at FDF, that's F-D-F, like Frederick Douglass Foundation, FDFnational.org, they can find out more information about the Frederick Douglass Foundation. If they want to visit DL. Institute. So that's Douglas Leader, DLinstitute.org. They can find out more information about the Douglas Leadership Institute. And if they want more information just on the great abolitionist himself, they can visit whoisfrederickdouglas.org as well. Lorenzo, thank you so much for your commitment to the Lord and serving your community uh, and for the opportunity of having me on your program.
Thank you. It, it, we can go back and forth with these commendations, and, and I wish I had more time, uh, but I just appreciate you carving out this small amount of time that you have today to be on the show, and um, appreciate it so much. Uh, is there any upcoming events with DLI that you would like to share uh, before we close out? Yes, sir. So if they visit uh, both of those websites, they can find out. But every <clears throat> um, first uh, Tuesday, unless the Tuesday falls on, uh, uh, on uh, excuse me, every, yeah, every first Tuesday, unless a, the month comes in on a Tuesday, we have a, a fantastic Leaders Live call where we've had people like uh, the Honorable Kay Coles James. Uh, we've had fantastic leaders like uh, Benjamin Watson, uh, former uh, NFL uh, football player. And up next, we have uh, the, uh, the scholar Shelby Steele, who has a brand new movie oh that he has released uh, that is talking about um, uh, Michael Brown and uh, the incident that took place uh, back in, uh, in Ferguson. So a brand new documentary. So he's going to be on with us. I believe that is um, uh, the first not election day, the third, but the following Tuesday. So um, <clears throat> we'll have him on. So if you visit us, that usually is at uh, 7 p.m. in the evening. So we have this every month, a leaders live call with some fantastic leaders. It's been extremely well attended and uh, fabulous. So I would encourage people to do that. But for more updated information, they can visit us at those websites to learn uh, of, of events that may be coming up virtual or events that might be in their area. All right, thank you so much. And um, before we get off, I just want to remind everyone that uh, we only have several days left before the election and want to make sure that you are an informed uh, voter, vote your values, vote your principles, um, and vote confidently <laughs> well, confidently, uh, seek the Lord about it. If you, if you must, you should. And um, thank you again. God bless you, man. Bless you too, brother. God, take care.